0: Thanks, Cam. So today's reading is taken from Galatians 1, verses 1 to 10. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory for forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God, or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ.
1: Thank you so much, Lisa, and uh, keep your um, leaflets open. You'll see an outline of the talk where we're going and the passage there. Let's, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that we can be together this morning on this beautiful autumn day in the Adelaide Hills. Thank you for the creation, all that you give us. But it, it's, a, it's a precious time now to come and to listen to the words of the Apostle Paul, 2,000 years after they were written, but words which still speak to us. And so we pray, help me to be really clear and help us to love you with our minds that we can love you with our hearts and understand you better and love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, when I was a kid growing up, Saturday mornings were spent watching telly and watching Hey Hey, It's Saturday, right? And there was that segment in Hey Hey, It's Saturday what cheeses me off, right? And so people would, re- would write into Daryl Summers who'd read out something that cheesed someone's off and then he and Aussie Ostrich and Red Simons would just sort of make fun of it, trash it, and then they'd laugh it off. There's no laughing off what Paul the Apostle says here. He is really cheesed off. okay, so he uses language of astonishment at the Galatians deserting God so quickly, and then comes this bit where he places people under a curse, literally, let them be anathema, which means, may they be handed over to God to be destroyed, whoa, and just in case we we think he's kidding, he says it again, right, he is really cheesed off. Not just in chapter one, in fact, his kind of outrage keeps simmering under the surface. through chapters two, three, four of Galatians, it comes out to a bit of a climax at chapter five, when he says in verse 17, "As for those agitators, I wish they'd go the whole way and emasculate themselves." Now, I've thought of saying things to people before, but I, that one hasn't actually popped into my head. <laughs> Um, We'll get to that on June 20. I'm thinking of calling that emasculation Sunday. (laughs) Just joking, but I don't think Paul was joking. That's the point, you know. He's really, really cheesed off. Now why? Okay, here is a map. Okay, Galatia is the Roman province up the top of that map. So you've got Jerusalem down here. Here's the Mediterranean Sea, Egypt, okay, Syria, and then round up into what we know as Turkey up there. One year before writing this letter, Paul went on his first missionary journey to the Roman province of Galatia. He visited the towns of Pisidian, Antioch, Lystra, Iconium, and Derbe. You can read about this in Acts chapters 13 and 14. Paul went there, he shared the good news, people believed, churches were started, but it was really hard. He was consistently run out of town once he was stoned and he was actually left for dead. And then he dragged himself back in the city to strengthen the other people there. Amazing. Anyway, well, after he wound up that trip, he, he um, left and then other people came into those churches that he just started and they were teaching something slightly different and this prompted Paul to write this very strong letter. Now, I don't know how you... React when you hear emotional language like this, or cursing. I myself don't like people getting worked up. I read this and I naturally wanna say, Paul, why don't you just calm down, okay? Why don't you stop overreacting? Surely it doesn't matter as much as that if there are differences in what Christians are taught. And then I think, well, hang on, well, I suppose he's just like a naturally protective mother hen of, you know, these churches that he's started and he's kind of rushing out to defend them and maybe we can understand his overreaction, but isn't he just being a tad overprotective? Does it really matter if there are slight differences in what people are taught and hold dear so long as they're Christians, right? Because after all, who does he think he is to get so hot under the collar? about a church which, yes, he started, fair enough, but of which Jesus is Lord, not Paul. Right? The, the church belongs to Jesus, not to Paul. So we might wonder if it's the case that he's rather got an overinflated view of himself and his own importance. Well, contrary to what we might think, Paul isn't overreacting. The shock value of these words jolt us awake to realize what's at stake. He's not being overprotective. In fact, he can't be protective enough. It really does matter what Christians are taught and believe. And no, he doesn't have an overinflated view of himself. Paul has a unique role to the Galatian Christians and to us today, and it really matters that we listen to him. That's what's gained by just these first 10 verses, Paul's introduction to his letter today's passage. And in these... Verses, he lays his heart bare. So we see the man, who he is. The message, what he taught. The mayhem, what had gone wrong. And his motive, what's driving him. So the man, message, mayhem, and motive. First of all, the man. Who is this man, Paul, to the Galatians? Who is he to us? Verse one, he is an apostle. Now, apostle, we think of the 12 apostles down on the Great Ocean Road. Okay. We think apostle means block of independent, you know, rock, no. Apostle, that word means someone who has been sent with a message. Uh, In the New Testament, we think of the 12 apostles, all right, they're capital A apostles, people who had been the 12 disciples of Jesus, but became apostles when Jesus sent them out to proclaim his message to the world. In the New Testament, there are other apostles, small-a apostles, I call them, like Andronicus and Junius in in Romans chapter 12, outstanding among the apostles. Now I call them small-a apostles because they're sent out by the church, not by Jesus himself. Well here in verse one, Paul says he's an apostle. Is he a big-a apostle or is he a small-a apostle? He is a big-a apostle because even though he wasn't part of that band of 12 merry men who uh, witnessed what Jesus did and taught, And even though he was sent out by the church of Antioch to visit Galatia on his first missionary journey, before that, in verse one, he tells us, he was sent not from men, nor by a man, but he was sent by Jesus Christ, and he was sent by God the Father who raised him from the dead. He's sent by God. Now, when is he referring to? He's referring to that moment in Acts chapter nine, when he quite literally was blinded by the light. If you remember that song, that's where this phrase comes from. When he had his Damascene conversion experience, that's where this comes from. He was on the road to Damascus. His name was Saul. He was persecuting the church. He hated Christ. He hated Christians, and Jesus literally stopped him in his tracks, the risen Jesus, and and confronted him, and then converted him on the spot, and turned him around, And in a moment, Christ's persecutor became Christ's apostle because Jesus sent him out. Now, this this hasn't happened to someone else, right? This is unique. So for the Galatian Christians, or for us, Paul is not just any run-of-the-mill Bible teacher, and nor is he just their church founder, as important as that is. He is our apostle, that is, the man specifically chosen and sent by Jesus himself to be Christ's messenger to them and to us. Now, for us, of course, he can't be here in person. Death does do that to someone. Uh, however, the Holy Spirit has preserved uh, Christ's message for us given to Paul in the 13 books of the New Testament written by Paul and co-authored by the Holy Spirit so that through hearing them, we would actually hear God's message passed on to us through Jesus, through Paul, we would hear Christ's words, okay? What all this means is that we can't say, I'm going to just listen to Jesus, but I hate Paul. Because Paul brings the words of Jesus to us. That's what being an apostle means. If you reject Paul, you reject his message, we reject the one who sent him, that is Christ, and we reject his message. We must listen to him, which now brings us to the message. We've had the man, now the message. Now, if each of us just covered up verses three to five, right? if you're looking at a text there, just cover it up with your hand or turn it over, and I want you to to do this. If you spoke out in your head what you thought was God's good news to us and what it meant, what would you say? So, in a sentence, if, if you said, God's good news for us is... One sentence. Have a go. Just try it in your head. My understanding of God's good news for us, his good news message is, okay, has everyone got it? All right, now, I want you to compare that <laughs> with what Paul says in verses three to five. So look at how it begins in verse three, how it ends in verse five. It begins with what it means for us. So grace and peace to us, that's how it begins. And what it means for God in the end of verse five is glory forever to God and Father. That's what the good news of Jesus means. For us, grace, God's kindness, his gracious kindness to us. And peace, that means a right relationship with God where things are okay between God and you. This is amazing, this is what the gospel brings. And then for God the Father, what it means is that we who've experienced grace and peace from him, we give him glory and forever. As is fitting, okay. That's what it means, but what's at the heart? What's at the heart of the message? Well, it's not a what, it's a who. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who, all right, the heart of the message is not a what, it's a who. Jesus, that is the human one who lived in Nazareth in real history, real time, real place, who is Lord the one with all authority, the king of kings, whom everyone will bow the knee to, and Christ, the the one who was promised by God, the king who would save. The center of the gospel is not ourselves, but Jesus, Lord and Christ. And then it tells us what he did. It's about who he is and what he did. The Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, Okay, now of all the wonderful things that Jesus did, if you wanted to zero in on the most important, it's his death on the cross. His self-sacrifice, he's giving up of himself um, as our substitutionary sacrifice, right? To die in our place for our sins, that's the core. Why does he do that? What's the purpose? Now this is different to what I thought when I wrote out my sentence. I would have thought that Paul would have said Jesus gave himself for us to rescue us from sin and death and judgment and hell. But he doesn't. Those things are true, he'll say them elsewhere. But here, to the Galatians, he says, who gave himself for us to rescue us from this present evil age, which we're still in. Now, why does he say that and what's it mean? Most likely, Paul is thinking back to the time when he first visited Galatia and he remembers the evil or the harm done to him by the opponents of Christ and the gospel there. Um, People didn't like him speaking about Jesus and they made life very difficult for him and hurt him, did him harm, did him evil. And Paul knows that these people are still there and probably still feeling the heat. And so he reminds them Jesus gave himself for them to rescue them out of all of that. He, with his blood, he purchased them, they belong to him. That guarantees um, their ultimate security. When he comes back, he will take them to be with him. I think that's why he mentions it that way. Okay, and then Paul says that all this according to the will of our God and Father. This is the gospel, that's the message. So we've had the man, the message, and now, third M, the mayhem. That's happened in Galatia. So despite Paul being Christ's apostle to them, bringing God's message to them, the mayhem is that they're leaving all that so quickly. And they're leaving not just Paul or not just his message, but God himself. Verse six, I am astonished, Paul says, that you are so quickly deserting God, the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So soon after Paul had preached the gospel and established the Galatian churches, no sooner had he left and gone back to report to Mission Central at Syrian Antioch that some other people came in. Purportedly, they, they, they presented as Christians from Jerusalem where not just mission central, but church central, right? Where the other apostles were. This is like the real place. And they come from this place with the sort of perceived authority that that entails. And and they discredit Paul. You know, he's not really got the good news the same as the apostles back in Jerusalem have. And, And we come from them. And you know, Paul, he's a bit of a slippery character. He's kind of all things to all men, you know. And he's relaxed on some things, which those in Jerusalem really aren't. They've they've got the real things. So if Paul's told you something, you should listen to us. And in the end, they said, actually a different gospel, which now the new Christians have to accept to be truly saved. But what comes out in verse six is that in letting go of Paul's gospel in favor of another one, people become confused. The gospel of Christ gets perverted and people turn to a different gospel which is no gospel at all because it's not good news. It will come down to say nothing that you are promised is secure and you need to try harder. Now that means, verse six, that you end up deserting God. I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting not just the gospel, but the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ, God. In other words, it matters what churches teach. It matters what Christians believe. You distort, you change, you pervert the message, people end up giving up on God. And maybe they don't think they are, but it will happen. And that then explains Paul's outrage. And that explains his vehement condemnation of those who've caused it in verses eight to nine. He said, but even if we are an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. He's talking about perverts. right, not sexual perverts, but perverts who pervert, who twist, who distort, who change the gospel. And his message there is, I think the right summary is, perverts be damned. I think that's what he's saying. Now in all of Paul's writings, this is the strongest denunciation he makes anywhere. Now some of us might be sitting here thinking, he is not being very Christ-like. But I think we'd be wrong, because if you went to somewhere like Matthew 23, you'd be able to read of Jesus' strong denunciation of the false teachers in Jerusalem at his time. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you nor will you let enter those who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you've succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Um, The reality is Paul is being very Christ-like in making this denunciation. Now what's his motive? Man, message, mayhem, and now motive. What's his motive? Is this just petty one-upmanship, insecure Paul, not able to cope with failure, now unleashing a tirade so as to regain the loyalty of the churches he founded? Verse 10, he says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? He's not trying to please people. His motive in writing all this strong, vehement letter is ultimately for Christ's sake. He says, if I'm, I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So let me sum up. In this introduction, we see Paul as Christ's apostle. Right? He carries the good news God has announced concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done, given himself for sins to rescue us from this present evil age. And yet there are false teachers like these, new, these people who are who are doing harm by perverting the gospel, causing new Christians, young in their faith, to question what they've been taught and to let go of the good news and without them realizing to leave God. Leave the God who brings them grace and peace. Now, uh, we have a collection of people here from one off. Welcome, welcome Matthew's clan. Good to have you here. Um, <laughs> um, you may not be here next week, though you would be welcome, and you can watch on Facebook. Um, however, uh, in, the, in the following weeks, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of what, what was being taught that was wrong and why it was wrong. But for now, the, what we have here is, is a, a passage with really strong language, and, and that has to make us ask, does it really matter what Christians are taught You know, within our church, there are many people who teach the Bible, not just me, although I'm doing it right now, but many people. People taught kids' church this morning. There are Bible study group leaders, all right? Um, Young adults' leaders, youth group leaders. And surrounding us right now in many churches around Adelaide are people who are standing in this position teaching the Bible. And hopefully people are paying attention and uh, checking what's being taught. But does it really matter if people teach different things? So long as the person teaching them is persuaded that they're true. Because I can bet that everyone who's teaching right at this moment in Adelaide will not have perfect alignment on everything that they're saying. So does that really matter or not? Well, all truth matters, that's true. But we have to say some teachings, some truths are more important than others. There are secondary non-gospel issues where it's possible for Christians to hold a level of respectful disagreement on. Okay, And these are issues which do not impact our salvation. Now, why are we allowed for that to happen? Well, because our unity, what binds believers together Is the gospel? You believe the gospel, and you're saved. It's not like in heaven there'll be a different room for Anglicans and Baptists and Presbyterians and you know whatever. Pentecostal. We'll be there together. We'll be saved by the same gospel truths, right? People can believe in Christ and have different, thought-out positions on different on secondary issues. You know, church worship style, views on. men and women's roles, or, or opinion about the right mode of baptism, how much water to use, who, who's allowed to get baptized when, uh, whether we worship with our hands up or our hands down, shoes on, shoes off, whether, whether the clergyman has to wear a collar or you know, Paisley shirts, or, um, you know, so long as the gospel is the same. Uh, knowing that there are primary and secondary issues does give a level of freedom and grace and generosity in our relationships with other Christians from other persuasions, because it's the gospel, not secondary differences, which unite us together. But where the gospel itself is changed, perverted, distorted, that matters, because that destroys the basis for our unity and fellowship, and it may rob someone of their salvation. And therefore we can understand Paul's outrage because what's at stake is people's relationship with God. I recall um, as pastor the conversation of a parent who came to me some years back speaking to me in tears about what was being taught their teenager by someone in the church of which I was pastor. Now, I'm not telling you how many years back, and I'm deliberately not telling you which church, but as I listened to this parent, and this was the only time they came to see me, um, so it was a very important conversation for them. As I listened and handed them the tissue box, behind the tears there was a smoldering outrage because they saw their teenager being taken along a path which had a veneer of spirituality, which but was in fact quite shallow, and in the end wasn't grounding them in the gospel. Now, um, were those tears, the, that outrage justified? Well, yes because not long after that, that teenager left church. That person is now no longer a teenager and so far as I know, would not call themselves a Christian. They have no relationship with God that they speak of. Now of course, situations are complex. There were other factors involved. But the modeling and the teaching they were getting was a pretty big part. It actually matters what Christians are taught. So we need to be really clear on what the gospel is and how it can be distorted. Um, The sales channels on television, I think, teach us really well on this. You know those when you're flicking through the telly and you come across those weird channels that are only there to sell you the latest product, right? Um, Okay, learn from them. The gospel is distorted when you hear the words, but wait, there's more, okay? Belief in Jesus is good, but more is available. More blessings, health, wealth, power, spiritual um, height, insight, prophecy, riches in heaven. Do not believe it. Okay, in Christ, Ephesians 1 says we have every spiritual blessing already in him. We have our Father's favor, a staggering thing. We have the fellowship of the Spirit, and all the assurance that brings. We have eternal life. We have the promise of resurrection. We will inherit the universe, right? You cannot add to that, (laughs) okay? So when you get a Mormon knocking on the door and saying, oh, accept our message and you can inherit a planet, politely you can go and tell them to rack off because you, you can say, look, what are you gonna give me that I haven't already got? You have nothing more to add. There's nothing more that you can add that you can promise that I already don't have in Christ. Okay, you might want to be more polite than that. Invite them in and share the gospel with them first. Uh, (laughs) All right. Um, But you get the point, okay? So be very careful with the but wait, there's more message. Because normally what then is attached to that is the other thing that salesmen do. And they say, you can secure your free gift by just sending in this money. Oh, okay. um, by, doing, by praying in this way, by um, jumping through a religious hoop, by speaking in tongues, by obeying these laws. By reading this book, by doing these seven steps. Now anyone who says that they can add to what Christ has already given us is dodgy and a complete phony. And anyone who says you can secure your free gift by doing these things, they have departed from grace. And if we follow them, what ends up happening is you stop living in the grace of Christ and suddenly all that Jesus has won for us and which is ours, we will doubt whether we really had in the first place, and instead of putting our trust in Jesus, we'll put our trust in our ability to jump through these hoops, right? And suddenly, we will find ourselves not having fellowship with God, and God feeling like he's a long, long way away. Now, will we encounter such people? Almost certainly. And then we need to be really strong in protecting the gospel. I'll close with this illustration. When I was um, at university, someone approached me and asked me to join their church, which you know is fair enough, Um, but I knew where they were from. They didn't know that I knew, (laughs) I knew. This was a church that said, they are the only true Christians. And if I joined their church, then I would become one of the only true Christians. And they didn't tell me, they were a bit cagey about where they were from, but I knew Anyway, so I thanked them for their offer, but I said, look, thank you, but I'm already part of a Christ-centered, grace-based church with Jesus at the heart, and I was actively involved in serving there. Now, at which point I would have expected them to encourage me to keep going on in that church, right? But they didn't. They kept pressuring me to come to theirs, to leave mine, and I said, that's strange. If you believed the same gospel message that I do, I would have thought, That if my church was teaching it, that you would have encouraged me to stay in that church. And then at that point, the conversation suddenly changed. And they said, you're so proud. I thought, whoo, now I'm seeing them for their true colors. And caught on the hop, I said, you're damn right I'm proud. I'm proud of the gospel. And I'm not letting it go. And I'm not going to change it and you can't give me, you promise me anything else. And you need to stop confusing people in their faith by suggesting that gospel proclaiming churches aren't good enough. Now, Paul's gospel, you see, it's not to be tinkered with. It's not ours to change. He was sent to us by Christ himself to bring the message of God's good news for the world. It is right to be protective of that message because so much hangs on it. The grace and the peace that we've received from God or which you can enter into by believing in Jesus. And also the glory of God. You believe a false gospel, you won't give glory to God, you'll give glory to yourself. Look at at me, how wonderful I am. Look at my track mark of obedience. Look at how I'm better than other people. That's eyes down, not eyes up. A false gospel rips that away. We need to be protective, just as Paul was. Father in heaven, please teach us through this letter of Galatians, and please give us great clarity, because if we're not clear, we'll be fuzzy, and if we're fuzzy, that might be dangerous. So we pray that you'd just over the next few months, you'd impress upon us, you'd give us clarity on what Jesus has done why it's important to hang on to that message so clearly, and also how to defend ourselves and others. Please, for this church, please guard us. Please, for everyone here, guard us in the clarity of our thought and also our trust in Jesus and all that he has won for us. In Jesus' name, amen.